Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. Yeah, thank you. Get him, brother. <laughs> oh, Lord, let's just uh, continue with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much. Um, thank you for Janelle's testimony, one of your precious living stones. And I feel like we just need to do the benediction and go home. Because um, you're doing a work. You're doing a work today. And Lord, as we open your word, we're going to submit ourselves to you in the same way uh, our sister was talking about. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you and allow you, the master builder, to do that work you want to do today. We yield this time to you with thanksgiving in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, as our brother shared, um, we're going to continue in the story. I am passionate about this book of Nehemiah. Um, the story chapter that you read focused on uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, and I'm just going to focus on Nehemiah. Go ahead and bring those uh, uh, notes forward, please, the ushers. I'm just going to focus on Nehemiah, and there's so much in here, um, I can't cover even 90% of it. I mean, 10% of it. Um, but I'm going to focus on one idea, rebuilding the walls. And that statement that Nehemiah says, he says, let us arise and build. Let us arise and build. Our brother Matt shared a few weeks ago when he talked about Daniel, he mentioned that the children of Israel were taken into exile from their home for 70 years. Why? Because of their great and sustained wickedness. 70-year exile from their home because of their wickedness. And then in fulfillment of the Scripture, in fulfillment of God's prophecies under, uh, under Zerubbabel, 50,000 left captivity and went back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And then as Brother Lance shared, when the going got tough, they quit. And then the prophet came and encouraged them, and after many years, they finished the temple. And there was an amazing outpouring of joy. We finally have a home, a city, our own temple where we can worship God freely. But now, as we enter the time of Nehemiah, 70 more years have passed, 70 years of freedom to worship God. 70 more years have passed, but we learn when we read Ezra that the people had fallen away from the worship of God. When Ezra returned before Nehemiah, just before Nehemiah, when he, what he found in the city was that the people were departing from God. They were falling into sin again. When Nehemiah comes back to the city, what does he find? He finds a city in ruins. There's no protection for the worship of God, for the house of God, for the people of God. It's all vulnerable, vacant, burned, rubble-strewn. Have you noticed, have you seen the DMV building, the old Hill Farms DMV building? Anybody seen it recently? Yeah, a few of you have. 
It's about a quarter of it is still there. It's being slowly demolished. It looks like a war-torn city looks. These pictures are showing you some examples of a war-torn city. It's uninhabitable and it's dangerous. This is what Jerusalem looked like when Nehemiah returned. Yes, the temple was there, but this physical picture is just a reflection of what was going on in the hearts of God's people. Hear that for me. This physical depiction of the ravaged city and the walls torn down is just a picture of what was going on in the hearts of the people of God. As I mentioned in Ezra, what were they doing? They were marrying all the people. They were giving themselves in marriage to to the nations surrounding them. The very sin that Solomon fell into that ultimately led to that increasing wickedness that God had to finish, uh, resolve in exile. What were they thinking? Any idea? They weren't thinking, exactly. They were just doing what felt good, what made sense to them at the time. I don't know about you, but as we're wrapping up the Old Testament, you must be struck by this wearying refrain over and over and over again. What refrain? God's people, they're blessed by God. They have every provision possible. They start sniffing around for something more. This is just like our day to day. Warned by God, they ignore Him. They end up in a pit They cry out to God in their misery. Finally, they're paying attention to God. And God sends a Savior, hallelujah, and they are blessed. Rinse and repeat. (laughs) Right? Over and over and over and over again. And let me ask you, do you ever feel like that? Close to God, far from God. Close to God, far from God. You ever feel like that? Yeah, okay. Do you ever feel torn between loving God and enjoying Him and then hiding from Him, trying to get away with something? I do. Feel like you're on the treadmill, the Christian treadmill, the, the, the uh, checking boxes, showing up and checking boxes, just a little bit bored with church, Bible study, prayer, looking for more. You ever feel that way? Am I all alone? No, not alone. Can you not be bothered with the work of Christian community? I can't go into all of Nehemiah. It's awesome. But uh, in chapter 3, it, it talks about all the people and their names who built the wall. And it singles out one family who didn't, the Tekoites. Their nobles, they didn't help. They couldn't be bothered. They couldn't get their hands dirty. Do you ever feel that way? Listening to others' hurts and needs, helping each other out when things are tough, hanging out with each other, helping and serving in the community of their church, growing together. Oh, sometimes I just can't be bothered. May I suggest that that is a vulnerable, vacant, burned, and rubble-strewn way of living. All right? Yes. And that is not the victorious Christian life that Jesus has saved us for. Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross 
purchased us as his own possession for so much more than that. The scripture calls it so great salvation. So great salvation. And in Christ, it's available right now. We need only seize it. We must only arise and build. We must only arise and build. Friends, if you respond to that today, oh my God, it's an adventure. He's calling us to adventure. And so here's my goal this morning. I want you to look with me at Nehemiah the man and Nehemiah the book and see with me that it is just a parable. I mean, it's factual. It's historic. We have all kinds of archaeological evidence But it is also a parable. Why did the Holy Spirit put it in here, particularly right at the end of the Old Testament? It's a parable. And what is a parable? It's a mirror. A parable is meant to be a mirror, something that you and I must look into and see ourselves. You see, as Lance shared with us a couple of weeks ago, the reality is that this is what God intends for us together. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what God intends for us. As you come to Him, who? Jesus Christ. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, just like Jesus is a living stone, You yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, when Jesus, when you put your faith in Christ, here's what happens, Ephesians 2, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, there may be, sometimes we, no, we won't go to the alien piece. You are no longer strangers and aliens, friends. You belong. One of the deepest needs that you and I have in our lives is to know that we belong. And Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is right here saying, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And listen to this, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The mirror I ask you to look into with me this morning is this. How are we doing with this? It's pretty cool to get excited about that heart check. Is that what they say? Heart check. Heart check. I can get excited about that, but I, Nehemiah this morning, let it be a mirror that asks, that you look into and you check out and you say, how are we doing at this individually and collectively, because we are the church. We are the temple. We are His bride. How are we doing at this? Both Peter and Paul tell us that the church 
is made up of many living stones, you and me. And friends, the church is only as spiritual, vibrant, alive, vital, world-changing, and impactful as we are. So let's look at the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants, and they are your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Woo, that's a great prayer. Once again, God's people are in a world of hurt, right? Over and over and over again. And in this lovely memoir, this diary of a man of God, a man who loves the people of God, we hear, we sense, we feel the heartbeat of God. This book, just like the, this book of Nehemiah, just like the whole book we call the Bible, is a love story. Isn't it? It's a love story. And as soon as Nehemiah heard of the sad state of Israel of, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, he sat down and wept. He mourned for days. He fasted. He prayed. He, and that prayer is just gorgeous, and it's only one of many of his prayers in this book. But let's think about him for a minute. Nehemiah. I mean, when you read this book, and hopefully I studied the book more than I did the chapter in the story. I'm sorry. But hopefully in the story as you read it, you saw that this guy is a bit of a fanatic. Nehemiah is a bit of a fanatic. I mean, he was nuts for God. He loves God's people deeply. I mean, to sit down, hear, hear about a ruined city, and then to sit down and weep and mourn and fast for days on end, he loved them deeply, even though they were quite unlovely. He knew the state they were in. 
And when the adversaries came, he battled their temptations and the accusations. The temp, the, when he was in Jerusalem and the adversaries from all around came at it, he did battle with them in various different ways. He didn't use the governor's stipend, the, the governor's allowance, but he fed himself and many of, of the others at his own expense. He was always praying. I mean, this guy, as you read his diary, which is Nehemiah is essentially a diary, when you read it, over and over and over he's praying. Big, impressive prayers, sometimes little, tiny prayers, sometimes prayers with no words at all. It just says, I prayed. His was a life of prayer. He called out everybody. You know what I mean, call them out? He called out everybody's issues. It didn't matter their station, the nobles, the people, whatever. Sometimes he threw furniture around. I mean, he did. He threatened to take them by the beard. And he threatened violence against those tempting his people to sin. And my question is this. Oh, by the way, in your, in your notes, it has all the Scripture references for all that. I can't go into all that, but I would encourage you to go home and see if these things are so. Read the scripture that goes with what I'm saying and see if it isn't so. But doesn't this man and his behavior sound a little familiar? Isn't Nehemiah a type of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Jesus loves his bride. She isn't always that lovely, is she? No. No. Y'all still with me? All right. She isn't always that lovely. We are not always that lovely. Jesus would not give the devil an inch. Jesus has given us the riches of his kingdom. You and me, we deserve absolutely nothing, but he's given us the riches of the kingdom. Jesus came only to do the will of the Father. Facing the cross, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He says to us the hard things we need to hear, doesn't he? Does he tell you the hard things? If, if the answer is no, he never speaks any hard things to me, I would suggest you're not listening. You need to get closer to him. Get closer to him. Spend some time in his word. Pray. Do, ask something really bold and a little scary. God, change me. Be careful. If you, you know, when you pray that prayer, he'll take you up on it, and he'll work in your life, and he'll tell you hard things. And sometimes Jesus throws tables over, right? He throws the furniture around sometimes. And he gave his life to save you and me and to redeem a bride, the church, this church for himself. I believe this parallel shows that the Old Testament story is a parable for us for today. And here's one example. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah evaluates the condition of the city. He observes from every angle and he tells them the truth. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and the few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Cool names, huh? Uh, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing, and I had 
not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. He evaluates the, continue, the, the, the situation. He evaluates the condition of the city, and he tells them the truth. Jesus evaluates the condition of the churches, and yes, he tells us the truth. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Oh, friends, he knows. He knows what you're facing this morning. But he says, I got to tell you the truth. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did not at first. If not, let's not go there. We have to go there to listen, but let's not in our hearts go here. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Remember I said the victorious Christian life, it is yours. To the one who conquers, it is yours. But we must respond to the call, let us arise and build. Friends, he's the bridegroom is walking among the churches. He's walking the aisles of this church, and he's looking at the living stones, you and me, and he's considering our condition. He's looking to see if we are burnt, broken, torn, and worn. Sometimes upon this Christian journey, we get weary. We get hurt. Sometimes the church hurts us. But here's the good news. He's not looking around in order to find stones to reject. He's not getting ready with a bulldozer to push all of the crumpled and worn and torn rubble out of the way. No, he's looking because he wants to heal. He wants to build. He wants to restore. So, let us arise and build. Amen? Let us arise and build. I'm not done yet, okay? Let us, I'm just getting started. The, well, I'm almost done with the introduction. No, not really. Um, you see that call to build is a call to you and me to allow him to work in you and through you for the bride. Nehemiah calls the people to work. He says, let us arise and build. And the people responded with joy. Jesus calls us to co-labor with him as a kingdom of priests. And what is that labor? Revelation 19, 7 says this, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's the labor. Readying the bride for presentation of the bridegroom. Friends, there, no, there is no higher calling. And it is yours, and it is mine. You ask the Lord, what's my calling? This is the calling of the saints of the Most High God. Now, there's other stuff he calls us to, but this is fundamental. So then, how shall we build? 
<laughs> good question. How shall we build? A couple of weeks ago, you heard Lance get very personal and vulnerable, sharing with us some of the struggles that he's had in his life and recently, and how God has helped him. And Lance made quite a number of commitments and shared them with me, and that inspired me. I've now shared just one. I've got to work on it. One with him. And I'm accountable to him for that. And the Lord has spoken to me through this message that there are gaps in my own walls that need shoring up. And friends, I need you. And you need me. And we need the Spirit of God to accomplish that work. How shall we build? Let me suggest this. In Nehemiah chapter 3, family after family who worked on the wall were named. The section of the wall where they worked on it, on, was named, and most of the time, if not all the time, but most of the time, the section they worked on was right next to where they lived and worked. Read chapter 3, and you'll see that. I'm right on time. So let's begin with something very close to home, okay? Are you with me? You ready to get your hands dirty? Okay, let's start with something close to home. Priorities. I'm going to ask you to do a little activity with me this morning. It's only going to last five minutes, and you're going to have to talk to each other. Is that all right? No, boy. That was like four people. I'm asking, is that, is that all right, Kristen? Okay, all right. So five minutes, because anyway, I'd like you to look at this slide with life categories. Life categories, priorities. Can you see all, can you all see that? Okay, the people in the front row can hear it. See, can the rest of you see that? Okay. Um, so there are major life categories. There's many of them, but this is just a sample for our activity. I want you to spend five minutes on this activity. I'm going to ask you to talk with somebody nearby. It could be your spouse, your family member, what have you. Or if you're a little, you know, if you're okay with this, talk to somebody around you that, maybe it's just there, it's not one of your family members, group, uh, group of two, three, four, five, whatever you want to do, talk to somebody nearby and identify the top two priorities that you believe God wants in your life. Carefully listen to me. The top two priorities God wants in your life. I'm not asking you, am I living this way right now? That's for later, okay? But right now, what does God want in my life? Top two priorities and share them with each other. Explain what that priority means to you right now, okay? You with me? And the more you share, the more work on the wall will get done in five minutes. You with me? You're going to have to take my word on that one, okay? Any questions? Ready? Go. Hey, James. James.
All right, Vicki told me I got to be finished with that part. I don't know. We can pray for them. They should talk a little more, I'm thinking. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. Anybody want to shout out? Anybody want to shout out for me? Uh, one or two of the top priorities, anybody? God. Marriage. What else? Marriage. Family. What else? Marriage. God. Huh? Character. What? Family. Health. Anybody have one that wasn't up there? Ministry. Hallelujah. All right. I've got homework for you. I've got homework for you. When you go home after this, mirror, if after this message, or to, over the next week, I'd like to ask you to do something. I'd like you to expand that. Did you find that was really hard? I mean, there's a whole lot more in your life than just two things, right? Yeah. I'd like you to go home and develop the top five to seven priorities, because there's a lot in our lives. Top five to seven. And then I'd like to ask you, To, make a, to get your calendar out. Get a sheet of paper out. Make a calendar of your typical week. The activities in your typical week. Are you with me? So on one side, one, one sheet of paper, you've got your top five to seven priorities that you believe God wants you to give your life to. And on another sheet, you have a calendar with a list with, an, with where the activities and the number of hours for them in a calendar for a week, maybe uh, two weeks. If you want to make a month, that sounds fine too. And then I'd like you to get that and kind of like Hezekiah did, put that down in front of you and God and ask the Lord, how does my calendar reflect the priorities I know you want in my life. Are you with me? Because, friends, the urgent will always crowd out the important. Am I right? And the devil, the one who is attacking the wall, the protection of the worship of God and the mission he has called us to attacking the church of God, attacking the living stones. The devil knows how to distract us. And your calendar doesn't lie, right? If the top two, three, four, five, seven priorities in your life are not reflected in your calendar, something needs adjustment. And I would suggest it's not the priorities right? Let's not tweak our priorities to match our calendar. That gets real personal when we talk about some of the things we believe we have to do and are sucking up our time and putting us in a position where we cannot get close to God and we cannot hear His heartbeat and we cannot know His will because we're just flat out too stinking busy. Amen?
Uh, band, do you want the band, is the band to come up all right? Okay, band come up. And friends, the call to arise and build these living stones that make up his living church must be intentional. The thing I'm talking to you about, you hear about it all the time in, in business circles, you know, the big rocks and the little rocks and the, all that stuff. It's nothing new. But the call, hopefully you've gotten a vision today that God wants us to arise and build the wall. Be, and that wall, that which is getting worked on is not something out there so much as it is something in here together. In, in each of us together, right? And that work must be intentional. And that's the reason for the exercise. Please do that homework, and I would love it, love it, love it. I'm going to, and I'm going to find gaps and holes, things that I know God wants me to be involved with that I'm too comfortable to get involved in. And I want him to work. So bring it and share with me. Share with someone else in this place. And as you and I do this together, may we proclaim with Nehemiah to the enemy of the living stones, the enemy of the church, Nehemiah 2.20. Then I replied to them, the enemies, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. Amen. Let's stand together, could we please? Thanks, Dan, for a great word. And I love it when we get messed with. Uh, about you, but if you come to church just to have your back padded and you know get angry and something is said that tweaks you a little bit, you're in the wrong place. So when we come to church, we want God to mess with us. God, where are we at? What's, what's, what's up? What, what do we need to change? Where do we need to work on? How do we need to allow more of you and less of us? I just love it. So thanks for taking us through that journey and giving us some similarities and parallels to, from Nehemiah's life to Christ. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to respond as we worship just for a few minutes here. Whatever that might look like, the pastoral team is on my right and my left want prayer, they would be happy. They would be thrilled to pray with you and to just agree with you on some issues you may be facing. There's the stations of the cross and throughout. Please respond. Let's just take a few minutes and worship the Lord and just let the Holy Spirit come and visit you and kind of sit on you, you know, in a powerful way. We respond to him.
If you want to know more about life lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.